Hello and welcome to Listen to These Nerds. Uh, tonight uh, we have uh, Nick Butler here to talk about his game Tidebreaker, currently on Kickstarter. Uh, Nick, welcome to the show. Uh, hey, what's up, nerds? Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, so, um, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on uh, your history with role playing games uh, to get us started? Uh, well, like, I, I answer this question a lot. I started with second edition D&D. Uh, I moved on to um, playing a game called Thrash by Aaron Clooney. He's actually going to be one of our um, stretch goal contributors. So it's like kind of a nice twist of fate that that happened. But um, when I when I played that game, I was like, holy crap, man, like people can make their own games. And then like, the thought kind of slipped my mind for a while and I started playing like everything else. Like I was like in the world of darkness for a little while and Pathfinder, like fate and uh power by the apocalypse stuff started coming out. And by then I was just like, eh, I'll do it. I'm going to do one myself. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that led to tidebreaker or did you have other projects before this? Uh... I had a few that I'm not as proud of. <laughs> 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 like for sure. But um, I spent a lot of time just uh, reading up everything I can about um, about game design stuff. Like I was basically reading Forge articles, like right when the Forge like shut down, like and um, like right in the last days. So I was reading like uh, the dude that wrote Sorcerer. I forget his name, um, but he he came up with the GNS theory, and I was reading reading about that, and I was reading um, things on. Uh, it's all over the place, man, you know? Um, but, you know, I was a sponge. But it was about, like, five, six years ago-ish, like, around that time. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah. But, you know, I was just uh, just trying to, like, learn everything I could. And then I finally just got around to the point where I found um, the uh, Reddit sub for RPG design. And I just started learning stuff from, from those guys. And I ended up... Um, meeting up with Smunchy from Smunchy Games. And at that point, I was feeling pretty confident of like uh, the stuff that I was uh, making. And I made a bet with him and I was like, hey, I can probably chunk out a game that's like better than what your current guy has in like a few months. And he was like, you're fucking tripping. And I'm like, <laughs> no, no, seriously, put, put money on it. <laughs> I, I ended up winning and instead of getting money. I, I got like a contract to make like the prototype for Tidebreaker. But um, a few years later, uh, Kickstarter being what it was and Smunchy like started growing like pretty fast and he had like a lot of projects. So it was either I had to like wait for like a really long freaking time to get my turn or uh or leave and he gave me the opportunity to leave and take the IP with me, uh, with his blessing. So, you know, I did that and here we are. All right. Uh so um I guess uh my next question is uh where did the the idea for Tidebreaker come from? Uh what specifically like was there a was this like a thing where you set out with a mechanical goal or a thematic goal? Like what what were you thinking about when you uh, started writing this? When I started, I was just kind of like uh, I was kind of like working just off of like what if I did like uh, feng shui but with like a little more strategy, and then I started reading like Fate Accelerated, and I started taking a little bits of that and um frankenstein and them together with like some stuff from street fighter and then i was just like hey uh here's some classes and then eventually we went classless because reasons <laughs> but 
I, I liked just uh, taking certain concepts instead of just mechanics and then um, trying to express them with mechanics. You know what I mean? Because like, it's kind of badly take things just wholesale. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, you know, I was just like, hey, I want to um, build a game that really like focuses on uh, movement for the most part, right? And uh, having like interesting choices, like movement and like mitts ups for the most part. Um, mitts ups is a is a fighting game term for like when you put your opponent in a situation where they have to like guess what you're gonna do next. There's only like one particularly option um, optimal option. Uh, so like uh, typically it's expressed in like Street Fighter, like like you can either attack high or low. So like uh, that's like a fifty fifty. But um. I wanted to express that in a way where, like, you wouldn't have to, like, understand Street Fighter to get that, right? Um, And we went with that through the expression of, like, some of the functions that you use to build your abilities. But, like, the main main thing is just, like, your choice to either block or dodge an attack um, as the defender. Because the defender decides, like, how that round is going down, right? So the defender chooses to block, your opponent rolls might. If they choose to dodge, your opponent rolls agility, right? Um, but the attacker, every time they miss, they get um, a little energy pool called momentum. And they can spend that to do a momentum shift on their opponent where they can say, hey, I'm going to hit you with this stat versus a stat of my choice. And that's just one way of doing a mitts up in Tidebreaker. But um, there's there's like... A lot of nuance, but um, for for something that I like, try to uh, make as simple as possible. So like, if you're not like looking for that level of death, you don't need it, but it's there, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, a bit of a, an easy to learn, hard to master kind of uh, like uh, like high skill ceiling sort of idea behind the design. Yeah, kind of. I I like to call it. Um, it's more of like an intentional emergent complexity. Right. Um, so like the game starts opening up the more you start looking into it and then you get to start like exploring and going, oh, wow, like that combines with this and this combines with that. Then I can do all these cool things. And um, the more you start looking at it intentionally, right, like the more like death that you'll discover. So I wouldn't even say it's so much of like a skill ceiling. It's just kind of like a how much are you willing to like keep looking at it and paying attention and finding things right like i think the the joy of like uh games of like these like a la carte option systems is just like discovery right um and going oh wow i can do that and then going oh wow i can do that and it's actually good like <laughs> you know like there's it's nothing better than like having a choice and then finding like oh wow this choice is actually kind of powerful and um we we sat out to just kind of make sure that like no matter what you were choosing, like you would have that feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of um, uh, having looked through the the preview PDF, you have a lot of character options like already available. Uh, is this pr- going to be uh, close to the final amount, or is this a a smaller sample of what you expect to be the final amount when uh, you go to publish? It's pretty close to the final version. Um, I will be adding a little bit more and then just doing a lot of balancing and clarifications over the next couple of ups. And then after that, we'll go to editing and um, 
I'm going to update the PDF that's out the backers now with the fully edited final version. And then for, for the rest of it, it's just going to be like art and layout until we hit um, hit press. And when we get all of that, like backers will get their final PDFs. But yeah, it's pretty much just going to be like one big update and then uh, another one with the, with the final art and layout. And then we'll be done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so um, you mentioned uh, you had some stretch goals uh, for the Kickstarter. Well, what's what is that going to look like? Is that going to be more books or more art? Uh, is it going to just be paying your artists more? Uh, what do you have planned for that? Um, it's going to be a lot of all of that for the most part. Um, the way I'm going to be doing the stretch goals, I'm making the official um, announcement tomorrow, is that all of our stretch goals are going to be involved hiring like. Uh, like guest writers of uh, varying celebrity um aaron clooney from thrash is going to be in that first tier um with along with uh mcgay Beck baker and um nick Massick from monkey's paul games are, are going to be doing uh extra tables and um options for your uh for your games in the form of what we call grooves which is uh kind of like like mini hacks or like uh i'm not very familiar with trophy dark but i think that's how their incursions work and stuff Kind of like um, variations on their core rule set, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong because I haven't read it. Um, I haven't either, but uh, all those words sounded right when you put them together like that. So I'm going to agree <laughs> with you. <laughs> Works for me. I'm sure somebody in the comments will be like, "No, he's an idiot." <laughs> That's not how incursions work at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know. Uh, so yeah, that we're gonna have. The, the main focus of the stretch goals will be like announcing who's going to show up to do like that's kind of work. But the rest of the costs involved in the stretch goals are going to be for like paying the team more like um, Francita and Traconic, who is our graphics uh, designer and our editor, like specifically, because uh, the more writing that we have in, the more work they have to do. So they have to cover their costs. And um, anything that those writers do, it's like I want to like make it look good with a little more more art, right? So uh, it's going to be art cost factored in, and then just a little bit of buffer room for like any additional taxes and like books and stuff that we have to like uh, order based on um, the amount of uh, pledges that we get in. So I just kind of wanted to like bundle it all in to like a kind of like reasonable price for. Uh, the amount of extra content that we're going to be offering per per tier. But I figured it'd be better to do it that way than to just like be like, hey, here's like 13,000 tiers and maybe you might get like two of them and get like one piece of content in a GM in a GM screen. Like, <laughs> you know, like that'd be whack, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, definitely, you know, you want to uh, give people like stretch goals that they, they can like see and achieve and you know uh build hype right yeah man uh hype is kind of our brand like uh it's the thing that like we just want to give you like stuff that you can sink your teeth in to and then when you do it's not going to taste bad you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um so um what would you say is the like other than the the emergent like complexity is like the the thing in in tidebreaker that that's that you you would point to and say this is why you want to run this game well i say that the the thing that makes the game really shine is that the game focuses on fun first um like i said like 
you can go into it and go, hey, like, I want to, like, see, like, how many options I have and, like, what kind of crazy combos I want to build. But, like, Tidebreaker at its simplest is just about fun, right? And being able to entertain um, the people at your table and get rewarded for it. Like, and we do that in pretty much every single mechanic is focused on achieving that goal in some sort form. But the simplest way that we do that is through our stunt system. So um, Tidebreaker is a D6 pool, um, dice pool system. So like, yeah, you do good, you get a bunch of dice. You do a cool stunt, you get some more dice. Um, if that stunt is particularly entertaining, it becomes what we call a showstopper. Um, and a showstopper is triggered whenever like somebody is uh, verbally or visually amused by what you're doing. And then it just comes down to a show of hands. So it's like, hey, like is this, disqualifier or not the table goes yeah then um congratulations now you get a whole bunch of dice that you get some re-rolls and they explode if you're not familiar with explosions what that means is that you get more dice if you hit a certain number um by default that number sits so every sits that appears makes another die appear in your pool and that keeps happening until you stop rolling sitses um but like that's our standard kind of uh, reward system for making sure that you're having fun and you're ensuring that the rest of your table is having fun by by like making a little bit of effort to just try to be entertaining you know what i'm saying because the game is about like sharing a fun experience with the people that you decided to invite to your table you know yeah absolutely um yeah i i definitely like the 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 stunt mechanic and i like how how it's how like the the how it's just very simple in terms of what you like what you need to do to trigger it is just be a little bit more descriptive to say a little bit more about how cool the thing you're doing is and um and yeah i i think the showstoppers are 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 a really great way to like engage the table and and, and to kind of treat the other players as a bit of the an audience for what you're doing um yeah that's exactly like what we were trying to go for with that because um like the idea kind of came from Exalted, and um, Exalted, uh, third edition anyway, like, they do a great job with it, because um, they break their stunts down into three levels, and uh, the, f the first level of stunts for Exalted is pretty much the same way as our basic stunts work. Yeah, you get a die, congratulations, like, you tried, right? Um, and then it's the second and third from, if I recall, like, you get more dice, and then, like, you get some static bonuses, I believe it was. It's been, like, years since I've touched it. But, um, like, it pretty much came down to, like, if the GM was like, ah, that's cool. And, like, the, th uh, the last level was just kind of like, okay, like, you have to, like, really, like, knock me off of my socks. Um, and that kind of qualification was just kind of like, it, it, that's a lot to, like, the breakdown in between, like, is this a two? Is this a three? Like, did it... Like, eh, you know, and and like the advice that they give from uh, from memory is kind of like every table is going to be different. So like uh, your threes at your table might be my ones. Right. Um, but the way I was looking at it, I was like, that works, but I would rather keep it even simpler and just go, hey, were you entertained or were you not like enough for it to like to get you your explosions and stuff? Right. Um, because if not, congratulations, you made the attempt, you get your dice reward. Um, if you were entertaining enough, you get a lot more dice, you know? And like, it's, it's pretty much binary at that point. Um, but like, there's no failure either. Like you're going to get a reward of some sort because you're keep putting in the effort. Like, it's just about like 
being consistent and and honest about your attempt to like try to have fun with your friends. Yeah, no, that that's super cool. It's a really fun mechanic. Uh, so um, you also, um, uh, despite all of the the talk so far being about uh, like the the combat mechanics and stuff, you you also put a lot of um, uh, emphasis on 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 the where the the setting of of and tying characters to that setting uh, as part of like character creation. Is there uh, is that like a kind of an anti-murder hobo thing, or is that just like, hey, throw your GM a bone, give them something to work with? Uh, what was your ideas uh, going into that part of the design? It's a it's, it's a lot of both, but um, like pretty much, I like when the table is immersed in the world because like when you have those kick-ass action scenes, it's becomes like even better because you're invested. And in the stakes of those fights, right? Like a cool fight is a cool fight, um, just because of like how you describe the things. But like the best fights are the ones where it's just like, oh, like we've been like working all campaign because um, Adam's brother was killed by uh, this character, and he's finally like tracked him down after having to like travel the world in his boat with his comrades and stuff, and uh, he had to like give up his freedom for a couple of months working for the sultan and then suddenly like through making those contacts through like uh doing like all the work while he was under the charge of like the sultan and his generals or something he finally found his brother's killer and now they're like sitting on top of the pyramids and and like they're gonna have this duel like in the top of like the desert sands and it's just like that's it right instead of going hey you two meet in the back alley and then like you scrap out Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that could be a cool fight because, like, hey, like, somebody might get hit in the head with, like, a trash can lid or something and then uh, maybe, like, shoot a fire escape and, like, have the ladder, like, fall down and, like, hit the guy in the eye like that scene in Final Destination. <laughs> um, like, which, it's badass either way, but it doesn't have the same emotional impact as um, as the buildup of, like, a, a properly established character with, like, an arc and then, like, having relationships with with um the NPCs and stuff in in the area and just like getting to know the characters that are in the world that they built with their friends. You know what I'm saying? And then just like and then when things happen to them, like, you know, there's a little bit of bleed that like cuts into that. And it's just like, hey, like that hurt a little bit. And then we need to really kick this bad guy's ass now. You know what I'm saying? And so like when you finally get your chance to like do it and do it like once and for all, it's just like there, there are few things I think in um, RPGs that really like match that kind of uh, that experience. Like when you finally get that chance to like have that epic fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I can. I, I immediately I'm thinking of like a few examples of that from games I've run uh, where where things just you know came together in the right way at the right time, and there there's this epic fight uh, that that everyone remembers afterwards. Um, uh but uh something you 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 mentioned uh was uh kind of like tying the players together into the the world and i i noticed that in your section on writing scenarios that like the that uh you explicitly put in that the the players should help set up the scenario mm-hmm. which i 
I don't think I, I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of games where they like most games put that the scenario like creation solely on the game master, but you've kind of made it a much more collaborative uh, like uh, like team like based uh, activity, which I I, I think. W- I, I've definitely had some games where where I've come in with a very different expectation than my players about what the 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 game is going to be about, and and that's kind of I mean I won't say they're bad games, but sometimes you have that that friction. I feel like this is a great way to kind of like mitigate that if make sure everyone's on the same page going in. Yeah, like I think it's all about player buy-in, right? Um, because like it doesn't really matter like what ideas you have as a GM if your players aren't really feeling it. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, you might go, okay, like, my big bad is, like, really cool. He's got, like, this purple and black armor with gold trim, and it's, like, he's super devious, and he, like, like ties people's partners to train tracks, like, fucking Dudley Do-Right and shit, right? And uh, you, you're sitting there, like, after school or after work and fucking, like, twirling your mustache because you're pretending to be him and shit, right? And But then nobody cares about that bad guy. <laughs> because, like... They didn't buy into that. They wanted to fucking play a story where they were, like, chasing goblins at the bar and shit. Like, you know, and then, like, you just have your dude just kind of sitting in the background going, okay, well, uh, guess I'll just take a break. Or, you know, I'll just storm in and kind of railroad them a little bit. Eh, I, I don't know, but it just doesn't feel the same. It don't. Boy, like, why can't they just hate me like they're supposed to? I was designed to be hated! <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but like when the players are part of that process, like it just kind of has like an innate buy-in because like their ideas are being brought to life, and then you're part of those ideas as the GM. So like you help facilitate like all of these things that your table wants, and like when they see it come to life, it's like there's, it's just it's really cool. Like um, I kind of like came to this conclusion after playing fate because um when you make your characters in fate like they're all tied together as part of the character creation right like the the character creation has like a like a three act structure to it where like uh each each member of the party like slowly starts meeting each other until they all like meet together and then the scenario kind of gets built that way by the construction of the party which uh, i was like Yo, shout out the evil hat. That's dope. <laughs> like, yeah. and I was like, I want to do that, but like, not exactly because I'm not a biter, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not gonna swagger jack them. <laughs> uh, like, but I saw that. I was like, I have to make something similar because, like, that kind of like, um player authorship right like them being able to just like get in on the fun where like uh i know like gms kind of like have this tendency to just like sit there and just like world build on themselves and then start sharing it and then it's just like monologuing like and like your players like even if it's interesting like the most you're gonna get is like huh yeah cool okay like i kind of see it but you know it's like it's not their story like you're just telling them your story which some people like, you know, like some people aren't into that level of engagement where they have to like do some of the the lifting themselves. Some some people just come to get a story told and react to it, and that's fine, you know. Um, the setting generation thing is is uh, optional for uh, for that reason, right? Um, 
I think the default experience, you should at least try it. Um, but I think that, uh, at least for me, like a lot of my experience playing um, role-playing games is like, I would come up with these backgrounds as a player that never came into play. Right. And like, you could say like, oh, well, you had a bad GM. And I'm like, I don't think my GMs were necessarily bad. Like, you know, it's just that they've got a lot to juggle. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you get good GMs that will like tie in your, um, your experiences. I was on, um, a stream a few months ago and like forgive me I, I don't remember um the gm's name but we were playing uh the hyper light drifter rpg and the gm surprised me because like i have like my little background for um my uh dog fighter his name was Hendricks, and like he was looking for this uh this man in a red coat that like killed his uh his friend and uh we found him at the end of the uh the one shot and like he was um losing his mind because like uh the treasure was like corrupted or something at the end. And uh then like Hendricks was who had been pretty much completely calm and stoic the whole time, like completely lost his shit and damn near died. But like he got his revenge at the end. But and I was like, oh my god, like he remembered. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like he didn't have to do that, right? The GM didn't have to do that, but like he did, and like I felt like wow, like, I was, like, really part of this story and not just kind of, like, an extra that has, like, a little bit more autonomy because I happen to be a PC, you know what I'm saying? Um, But, like, Tidebreaker, we went in with the intention of just, like, making sure that everybody has that kind of experience, right? Like, um, the players, when they build their goals, like, that's how they, that's how their progression triggers, right? Like, that's how the progression of the story triggers. The story is going to have, like, a conclusion I mean, you can keep going with another campaign of the same characters and so and so on and so forth. Like we have an arc system for a reason, but um, but like those stories are based around your characters in the world that you build. Like the world has its own problems, but like, like you are like the main cast. Like the, the game is going to tr- treat you that way. And like if they're playing anywhere near as rules rules is written, like you know they're going to c- take all of that into consideration. Because because like, hey, like the reason why you have that job, you know what I'm saying? Like, take their vision into and keep it in mind, you know? And and everybody will be happy. Uh reading through that everything is um kind of geared towards making sure everyone at the table is having as much fun as possible. Uh yeah, that's the the one goal that I want. I just want people playing Tidebreaker to feel like badasses. And you know, badasses have fun. Like it's what they do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, uh, as you've mentioned wh- about how the setting is kind of created from the uh, uh, from the the people at the table. Uh, was it hard to to build a me- like the mechanics of character creation, not knowing what genre and uh, themes that are going to be like chosen at the table? Nah, not really. Um, mostly because, like, Tidebreaker kind of has an implied setting, like, already. Like, uh, like the, the implications is, I mean, the implied setting is kind of, like, more of, like, a like semi-super yeah, heroes, mo- like, modern-ish kind of setting. And so I just built everything around that. And I figured, like, any variations of that would be, like, fairly similar. Like, even if it was, like, fantasy, it's pretty much, like, what we were doing already, but without the guns. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, if it's more of like um 
like a fucking um Chambara kind of film, like a Zadoichi or some shit like that, then like, you know, you're gonna be focusing more on like having your powers like mimic the things that like uh those wandering Ronin type characters like would have, right? Um but the mechanics are built to be vague enough where like you can skin them any way you want, right? And but they still kind of like have sort of like a like implied vibe to them. Like some like range, you're obviously just gonna use that to build bows and guns and key blast and stuff. But like something like detonate is obviously like that's my bazooka. <laughs> like, you know, that's that's my um fucking Piccolo's hell zone grenade kind of attack, right? Like where he just kind of like shoots the balls all around his opponent and he's like just claps his hands and then they all like swarm down and explode like you know that's like those functions like they're they're meant to have like a specific type of flavor that make you goes oh i could use that to build this thing right Mm -hmm. so like i i have like a vision of like various things that can be built with each function with each quirk with each standout feature and and most of that is like, as I said in like uh, the first chapter of the book, it's just like, look, this game can build a lot of stuff, but it's always going to have some sort of action vibe because that's just what this game is. Like, Tidebreaker can run a lot of shit. I wouldn't run it to to work to like run like a just like a slice of life kind of game. Like, this is this is not going to be your like, um, geez, I don't even watch slice of life anime. <laughs> It's 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 not going to be like the that that host club show, right? <laughs> you know, like it's not like it's probably like the closest thing would probably be like Madoka Magica or something, where it's like fucking like magical girls, but like super dark. <laughs> and it's like it starts off cute and then it's fucking traumatizing. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, three episodes, right? Yeah, but like you know, like it's, it's going to be somebody like getting hurt somewhere along the line because it's it's an action game. That's mm-hmm. so what happens. Yeah, I'm I mean that's it it's good to just kinda have that like out in front. Like I, I a lot of uh a lot of games try to kind of be a little bit of everything for everyone and kind of lose their identity. I I'm blanking on the names, but I, I went through a, a while where I was just looking at uh like universal RPGs and I, yeah. I found them all just kind of like lost their, they kind of lost their identity trying to be, you know, a, you know, everything to everyone. Uh, but yeah, like the, uh, if I can point out a, a specific like feature from this game, I really like the, the standout um, aspect of the characters. I think those are like super descriptive and like the fact that your character, like, um, and then they're kind of like, uh, sorry, I'm trying to like, think of how to describe it. It's kind of like a like like a big stamp that says this is kind of what my character's about. Yeah. Yeah. And I I just really like the them and they're they're all very descriptive. Um I I mean I, I noticed a, a couple of uh, uh of references to things um in there. Uh some of the um you know there's some like broad archetypes in there as well, but also things that are like references to John Wick and Baba Yaga and that sort of thing. Yeah, like <laughs> it's like I'm a huge John Wick fan, and I really have to force my girlfriend to watch the series with me, Heather. Um, yeah, like she's she's right behind me. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like 
John Wick was definitely like a huge influence. Like John Wick, Jason Bourne, like um James Bond. Like I love super spies. So like there's there's a lot of that in Tiebreaker. Like we have like a like a full detailed stealth system that I like don't talk about because like uh, too much. But I'm talking about it more as we do the Kickstarter because like I want people to build super spy games out of this. <laughs> um, like make your make your gadgets and your fucking um, your cool cars with the machine guns coming out of the license plate and shit. Like I, I want to see more of that. Um, <laughs> like and like I think that the start of that is just kind of like built into our stealth and into our like uh, bargaining systems that we have like in the middle of the book, and uh, they're pretty in depth. And like I'm, I'm really proud of them. But like, we we have like lots and lots and lots and lots of like little fucking like puns and nods to like uh, my favorite franchises and um, some of the stuff that our playtesters like, because uh, you know the the game would not have been made with without the support of uh, my playtesters and my friends and my family and just the people that I've been talking to. Like, oh my god, I I'm literally losing my mind. I'm going to quit. <laughs> you know. Um, so a lot of those things are just kind of built off of uh, my relationships with people and um, this stuff that that we've talked about over the last couple of years. Like um, right when we did uh, the early assets, like one of the updates I did was uh, called the Jackson Legacy because that, that's my family's name. Uh, I just happened to be one of the few weirdos named Butler. But um I, I made like a quirk and a standout feature for like pretty much like everybody that um that was like kind of important to um to me when I was making the game. So like a little bit of my family is like in this project and a lot of my friends and a lot of my influences like with through the movies and um and like fighting games and stuff. Like the one of the first uh, standout features is um is a shout out to Daigo Lumahara, you know what I'm saying? Like from uh he's he's like a really famous street fighter player like uh really good at um ryu who's my favorite character so i was like shout out to daigo he's in he's in the game <laughs> yeah hey yeah i mean i i i think one of the things that uh like having talked to different people about their their games and like why why they're making them the the, the one thing I, I i've seen consistently is that the people who are whose games like speak the loudest are the people who really put themselves in like into their games where you can see this is something someone cared about a lot yeah and, you know um but yeah yeah the uh I, I i'm just gonna say it um if you read the just the the preview document like the you you will never uh be uh no one will ever say tiebreaker doesn't have personality because it's there like you can you can see that that when you wrote this, you had a vision and like you put a lot of yourself in here. Really, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the the best interview that you'll ever have of me is reading my work. <laughs> like uh, that because if you if you want a window into who I am as a person, like read my book. Like um, because it's it will tell you a lot of who of who I am, right? Because mm-hmm. you're you're buying you're buying a part of me when you buy Tiebreaker. Um uh is there anything else you'd you'd like to highlight something that that you think people will miss uh on a casual read of Tidebreaker that that you think people should uh put a lot of uh emphasis on or or look a little bit deeper at 
honestly, I think we covered a lot of the stuff that normally doesn't get covered because like usually people go oh wow it's a supers game there's a lot of like abilities and like cool fight mechanics and stuff and you can hit people with pots and pans and like throw dirts in their eyes with the interactables system and just like that's neat right um but like we covered like we have re really good stealth we have like diplomacy and budgeting i mean not budgeting bargain bargaining like fuck like if i built a game about spreadsheets like kill me <laughs> <laughs> Um, but Look, you already yeah. exist. Nobody's going to take their throne for the spreadsheet game. It, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, my, my guy, Tabletop Pro, like he, like we got into like a little conversation on Twitter where he was like, I, I love spreadsheets, dude. And I was like, oh, you're like my antithesis. Cause like, I fucking hate spreadsheets. He's like, I'm going to make a spreadsheet RPG just to spite you. And I was like, oh, I'm smelting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, shout out to Tabletop Pro. Like, he's he's cool, dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, but like, you know, like I I'm not I'm not great at math. So like, when when you build a game that's that that's whole format is just like a fucking calculator with a with a with like a with fucking paper. <laughs> like that that's that's gonna that that hurts my soul, man. It hurts my soul. <laughs> but um, yeah, man. I think we pretty much covered uh covered the, the good bits man like it's it's a cinematic action game focused on people having fun there's lots of collaborative world building stuff there's like if you like super spies martial arts shadow run fucking pathfinder stuff like um spider-man godzilla yes we have rules for kaiju and uh freaking like motorcycles and shit so you can like be like tatsuo and like fucking like power slide on your um bike akira style yeah we got it <laughs> all right well um so definitely everyone should uh check out the kickstarter uh but is there anywhere else uh you'd like people to to come take a look at your work uh or to follow you on social media yeah follow me at fall on my blade on twitter like that's where i'm the most active like i've got links pretty much everywhere on the internet but like to be honest it's just just follow me on twitter bro like <laughs> Like I'm on itch, I'm on IG, I'm on um, Facebook or whatever. My Facebook's private though. Don't 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 look for me on Facebook. I'll block you. <laughs> nah. Um nah, but for real though, like Twitter, IG, Instagram, so I'll follow my blade. Like I got like so, a game jam project that you could check out if you want to. Um pay what you want. Like your health pool is a water bottle. I think it's pretty neat. Like I did it in like a couple of hours, but you know, like for a day project. Huh? I'm proud of it. You know what I mean? Like, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you for coming on. Thanks for uh, sharing some insight into uh, Tidebreaker. Uh, and hopefully we'll uh, uh, hear more from you in the future as uh, other projects come out eventually. Word up. We're trying to um, trying to go big with Tidebreaker, man. So like, we get like a store running, get some people um, some more money. You know what I'm saying? So like, let's get these stretch goals so we can get that shit set up. But yeah, thanks for having me, yo. Yeah. I've had fun. All right. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Tumblr at listentothesenerds.tumblr.com or on Twitter at LTTNCast. All our music is sourced from incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. You can email us at listentothesenerds at gmail.com.